Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Sports Garden Network Podcast, your source for sports entertainment, incredible sports wagering intelligence. Welcome, sports fans. This is Wagering Week. I'm Tom Barton. That's right. We are Wagering Week. Happy 2022 and a happy new year to everybody out there. Facebook and Twitter, that is how you get in touch with us. It is Sports Garden, G-A-R-T-E-N, hashtag S. G-N. The number is 855-4-G-A-R-T-E-N. iTunes, iHeartRadio, any of our fine syndicated affiliates. That is how you can reach us. And make sure you listen to our show nationwide. Wanna bet every Sunday morning, Eastern Time at 11 o'clock, leading right up until the NFL Sunday kickoff show. And we do it even when there's not NFL, right? So we go 11 to 1 East Coast every single Sunday on Wanna Bet Weekend Edition. All right, guys, listen. Let's have a conversation because we are getting into the nitty-gritty here. The NFL in the final week of the season is always a landmine, dangerous situation for everybody that's making a bet out there. You don't know who's starting. Players are resting. Players are also playing for motivation. There are those guys that are out there um, that you seem to turn around. You see some of these prop bets and things of that nature that you can take advantage of because there are some guys out there they're playing for bonuses, right? If you catch this many balls, you get this much bonus. If you catch that many balls, oh, okay. If you get an extra sack, you get a bonus. So a lot of these guys are playing for bonuses. And here's the thing. The team knows it, right? I mean, the quarterback knows, all right, if my guy, who's my buddy, who's been playing well all year, gets uh, five catches today, well, you know what? I'm going to pepper him a little bit. The game doesn't mean anything. So you have to watch out for that. I remember back uh, you know, in the Peyton Manning against Tom Brady years, there was always the debate. And the debate was Tony Dungy, he loved to rest his players, loved to rest everybody. That's all he ever did in the last week of the season. The Colts seemingly always had a a bye week. He rested everyone, and that didn't work out too good for him. Uh, The New England Patriots, on the other hand, they used to play everybody fully, completely play them. But you do see weird things happen because, you know, look, if a guy goes out there and gets injured, well, you're an idiot, right? I mean, that's just it. If a guy goes out there and, oh, you should have sat him down. But if they also come out rusty, well, you're also an idiot, you know. So it is a weird spot for sports betters because in a sports handicapping landscape, you've got to take this into consideration. It's not only how much you know will they uh, they start, but how much will they play, right? Oh, if this guy's not starting, yeah, he might start, but he might play two possessions. It's almost like a preseason game. So generally speaking. This final weekend of the season, this final Sunday of the season, this is a weekend I hate to go anywhere near. You also have the real, real impactful notion that a lot of betters at this point, they'll bet with their emotion. Well, this team needs it more, so they'll go out and win. Well, this team has to win, 
so they'll go out and win. Well, this team doesn't care. Now, well, look, these guys are still professionals. Like I said, a lot of them are still playing for contracts. Some of them are still playing just to stay in the league. You don't know what you're going to get in these kind of in the form of these players. You don't know what you're going to get from the coaching staff. We truly don't know. We truly have no idea in a lot of these situations because a lot of times, you know what, as good as the information might be, as much as you think you have a guy that knows a guy that knows, no, 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 a lot of players don't even really know how much their emotions and how much their motivation, you could be pumped up, get out there, and you go, ah, you know, and I, my, mind's, my mind's already home with my wife and kids. Now my mind's already home going to the club tonight. I, I'm already kind of in the offseason. So we really don't know. So it's a dangerous place for sports betters this week, I always tell everybody, tread very lightly, be very cautious, um, be real careful what we're going into in this week. This should be the lightest week of your betting season. This should be the week where you just eliminate games right off the bat. You should be looking at it and just say, you know what? At the end of the day, done. Yeah, I'm just not even going near it. Done. I'm not going anywhere near. Nope, nope. Don't like that game. Nope. Too many variables. I'm just not going anywhere near it. And be able to kind of take a day off and, and uh, maybe even the entire day off or pull back your bets. If you're somebody, look, I'm somebody that only bets, you know, one or two, maybe three games on a single day anyway. Um, so I'm a low volume player. But if you're a guy that's betting, you know, eight, nine, 10 bets, including prop plays and everything, else, well, we'll pull them back. You know, maybe only bet four or five if you don't feel comfortable. Don't force anything. Playoffs are coming. Got a lot more time to make a lot of money. We'll start off the 2022 New Year with a New Year's resolution to not force bets in any capacity. With that being said, we also have a game coming up on Monday. Now, there's no Monday night football. There's no Thursday night football this week either. But there's no Monday night football. But what there is is a national championship game, right? So I want to get into the national championship game, which is looking at this moment where Nick Saban's going to be getting three points as an underdog. Now, we can have a conversation, and we will, about you know matchups and how these teams got there, but I want to begin this segment talking from a handicapper standpoint, talking from a sports betting mindset. Alabama as an underdog, they just flat-out win. They just flat-out win. In their last six games as an underdog, they wound up winning five of the six. You go all the way back to 2008. 2008 plus four and a half against Clemson. They won the game by 24 points. 2008, they also were an underdog plus six and a half. They won by 11 at Georgia. 2008, once again, they were 10-point underdog. Well, they lost that one by 11 to Florida. Okay, so almost covered, but lost that one. I know some people are going to write in over at Sports Garden. You know, I got to push. Well, I'm giving you the numbers basically at the closing number. 2009, they took on number one overall team, Florida, in the country. Plus five, they won that game by 19. 2015, at Georgia, plus one, they won that game by 28. 2021, plus six against Georgia, SEC championship game just a couple of weeks ago. They won that game by 17. So not only have they won five of the last six games that they've been the underdog, They've won five of the last six games being the underdog by double digits. They come in plus three against Georgia. It is the same coach, the same quarterback, the same teams that we saw just a couple of weeks ago. Yet, Alabama continues to be the underdog. This is a dangerous spot. Look, Alabama's going to their sixth national championship game in eight years, and they're ninth over the past 13 years. That is just unbelievable. 
It's unbelievable. Now, I've been a proponent to scream at the top of my lungs that the SEC, and especially Alabama, doesn't play by the same rules as everybody else. And that begins to be true. Um, no matter how you slice it and the more you dig in, it does. But they're there. I mean, and they have the experience. That's something to pay attention to. You also have to understand that this gives Nick Saban a blueprint of how to get prepared for these games with the extra time off. He's got the Heisman Trophy winner in Bryce Young. We know that. He's got Williams. He's got Mechie. Um, he's not going to play in this game, but I'm saying over the course of the season, right? Brian Robinson threw his name in. He got a 200-yard uh, you know, rushing attack against uh, Cincinnati. It was considered one of the better defenses in the country. We look at him. On the defensive side, there are still lots of talented names. Will Anderson led the nation in tackles for loss. Uh, you look at how good Will Anderson is. He's probably a top three draft pick, top five. He's definitely first rounder. So they have the names, and it just seems like Alabama sort of had a down year. Well, they had a down year because they played teams close. They didn't blow teams out, but they are still here in the championship game. They are getting three, though. And this is what we're talking about. Now, Georgia on the other side. Look, I've made this mention a couple of times because I think it's a, a simply amazing stat. There are more five-star recruits on Georgia's defense than the entire Pac-12. Okay? They have the best defense in the uh, in the uh, nation. Just, that, that's it. I mean, it's unbelievable. They have a 0.36 points per drive. That is the best mark since 2008. Uh, unbelievable. That's uh, according to SI.com. It's been just a fantastic year for them all over the place, and they have to rely upon that defense. I get it. Look, the Bulldogs were rolling. They were crushing teams. Georgia didn't allow 17 points in a game until they met up with Alabama in the SEC championship game. Uh, you know, And that is the only game all year long where they gave up 17 or more points. Just think about that, 17 points. And they go out there, they face Michigan. I know Michigan isn't exactly a prolific offense, but they continue that where teams just can't get to 17 points, except Alabama, right? I mean, this is where we're, we're looking at. It's all except Alabama. And that really is the thing here. How much do you believe in Alabama just being that team, right? Now, we know the situation with Nick Saban against his assistants. He was 25-0 and until he met with Jimbo Fisher this week, or this year, I should say, uh, where he lost a, a game against Texas A&M, which was just a bad loss. And you start to look at Saban and go, okay, he's, he gives you the blueprint, but you still can't beat him once you leave. All right, so what do we think? What do we think about this game? Well, look, Alabama threw the ball just exceeding, exceeding success. Bryce Young threw the ball for 421 yards and three touchdowns. It was just a clinic. They do now have a wide receiver that's out. That's something to pay attention to. Georgia's secondary, okay, if there was a weak spot, it's here. So maybe they will throw the ball again, but not from what I watched in the Alabama game plan. I think they try to keep it on the ground at least to establish something early on at least to establish something. Look, Brian Robinson's, you know, he's not going out there and going to dominate again, but I think you still have to run it. Uh, you know, he had 16 carries, 55 yards. Look, that's fine. That's fair against Georgia to kind of keep them honest here. I do not believe that Alabama's going to come out and just say, you know what, we're going to try to throw for 400 yards again. But I also believe that they understand that, you know what, we have to keep them honest, but we're not going to have a lot of, of success on the ground. Bill O'Brien is an, a very good offensive coach. Forget about what you believe 
he did or didn't do in Houston. He's a very good offensive coordinator. And I think that he understands when to run and be able to run in different areas and different avenues. Now, look, speaking about the run, I think Georgia has to run. Okay, I think they have to run. They simply could not run against Alabama in the first time out. They, they just couldn't do it. They had 38 yards. Okay, um, by the leading rusher had 11 carries. They just they they threw it away, right? I mean, they just threw it away. They say, well, it doesn't matter. And look, there was there was pickoffs, there was problems, there was issues, um, but the quarterback looked good. I, you know, there were times where. He was able to torch Alabama for over 300 yards, almost 350 yards, three touchdowns, right? He threw the ball 50 times. Again, I don't see that being a winning formula for Georgia. So Alabama can go out there. They can throw it all day. They can throw it for 400 yards, and they might go up and down the field and go with that philosophy. But I think they're better suited. And I think that if you ask Nick Saban in a closed room, what do you really want to do? They want to run the ball. They want to lean on this defense that was fantastic. They want to be that team and then use the pass as kind of that dagger. I don't want to say a secondary weapon because they're obviously, but you know, going to pass the ball, but use it as the dagger as opposed to the main strike. And that is is something where I do believe that this is going to be a running game for Alabama. I, I think it's smart for it to be generally a running game for Alabama. On the other side, I'm going to make absolutely absolutely no uh, excuses here for what happened to, to Georgia. I, look, they, they just looked bad. Okay, they looked bad. They had a bad game. But there were parts that you could pin a, and pull out. The problem is, do I think that that's a recipe for success? Do I believe that throwing the ball 50 times against Alabama is a recipe for success? No, I don't. Do I think that throwing for 340 yards but having costly interceptions? No, that's not a recipe for success. But I also have to concede the idea that if you can't run the ball for more than 40 yards and you're only giving your your running back 11 carries, your leading running back, well, that's not a recipe for success either. But I think they have to force the issue. I believe they have to force it in there. I think that when you're starting to look at the weak parts, Georgia's secondary is a weak part, but I still think you have to run on them. And Alabama, yeah, you could give up chunk yards, but you don't want to get into a shootout with Bryce Young. And, and here's here's the thing. Georgia wants to run and play defense. I think Alabama wants to run and play defense. But if Alabama is forced to go up and down the field and they're forced to throw the ball, well, you have the Heisman Trophy winner doing it. And you're able to attack what is the weak part of the Georgia secondary. I don't think you give them the opportunity. So if I'm Georgia, I'm sitting back and I'm saying, no, I'm not even going to give them the chance to get it into an up and down game. I don't want to even be anywhere near a shootout. Why would I go anywhere near a shootout? This is not something that I want to uh, want to touch on. I don't want to go anywhere near that. So when you're looking at the spread, Georgia is a three-point favorite. And the total opened up at 53 and a half. I liked the under at 53 and a half for a lot of the reasons that I just said. I do think that both of these teams want to establish the run. I do think they're going to be a little, I, I don't want to say, you know, they, they always talk about, and you hear all the broadcasters in the world say, it's like a sparring match early on. No, I think there's going to be some haymakers thrown, but I think it will settle into a position of, all right, first first quarter, couple of haymakers, second quarter, let's slow it down, let's establish the run, and I think this comes from both sides. So I like the under 53 and a half early on. 
It's now dipped down to 52. I'm even seeing it at 51 and a half in some spots. If you're going to get this and you do like the under, go early on this. As for the best bet when you're talking about the over-under, yeah, I still like the under, but you can still grab an under 26 and a half out there. Even an under 26 I'm fine with. If you can still grab that for the first half, that might be better. Look, like I said, you might be sweating it after the fourth quarter, uh, first quarter because I do believe in the first quarter there might be that established idea of, okay, we're going to take our chances. We're going to try to get up. We're going we're gonna to take our shots downfield. But I do believe the second quarter is going to kind of be relaxed. If you want to take a quarter line, I kind of like the quarter line there as well. So I don't love the total. And you'll see, I don't usually love championship games anyway. I don't love the total. But for me, it's the under or nothing. I don't see another shootout. I think that Georgia's defense will play much better than they did in the first game. And I think that both of these teams' philosophies are just going to be different. I I think that you see the success that they both have. They put up 750-some-odd yards in the air. There is an automatic idea that this is going to be a shootout. But the Georgia defense has proven that they can step up, and the Georgia offense can be led with a running game if they kind of just commit to it. Alabama on the other side, yeah, the same thing. Look, their defense is fantastic, and I think that we watched last week, if you give them the running ability, if you give them a little bit of a seam, they'll take that as well. So let's go on the game itself. You know, the game itself, in the first matchup, for full disclosure, I had Georgia. I thought Georgia was the best team in the country. I failed to realize the teams that Georgia played. I failed to realize, you know, what Alabama was going to get up for. And I failed to realize the motivation factor, which was Georgia knew. Don't tell me they didn't. It's the SEC. We all knew. We all knew. They all knew. They may not have talked about it. And they may have been been a lot of conversation about, oh, yeah, don't let it seep in. But Georgia knew we can lose this game and still go to the national championship. We can lose this game. We can get blown out, and still we're going to the national championship. Well, guess what happened? They lost the game, and they still went to the national championship game. So the motivation factor for Georgia certainly wasn't there. And you might not get a player to admit it, but it's reality. That's reality. So I I undercut that. Alabama also had everything in front of them. Alabama had to win this game. Alabama worked out a lot of the kinks in the game before when they had a really bad game against Auburn. Alabama went in there and they said, we're not going to be bullied by this team. And sometimes in football, pure motivation and just the idea of bullying a team wins you games. So we start to come back around to, here we go, Georgia minus three. I I saw the, the writing on the wall when the matchups came out. I didn't think Michigan was going to hang with Georgia or was able to beat them. And I didn't think Cincinnati was going to be able to beat Alabama. So I've had a couple of weeks to sit back and process this. And my first initial thought was, Georgia's going to win this game. It's hard to beat a team twice, right? It's hard to to, to do that. Um, they were caught all a little off guard, like I said, maybe a little unmotivated in game one. Their defense sh- assuredly will play better. Absolutely, they've got to play better. I mean, these are all the things that came through my mind. And I watched the tape and I watched the film and I said, man, you got some passing success against Alabama. If this guy doesn't make, you know, these bad throws and these costly interceptions, well, they, they could have won the game anyway. And this is the process that I went through. And then I remembered Nick Saban. <laughs> and then I remembered you're giving points to Nick Saban with time off. You're giving points to Nick Saban in a championship game with time off. 
you know, I think it's a sucker's line one way or the other. I think it's a sucker game. I say often, you know, the championship games, you shouldn't go anywhere near. And I can tell you right now, for full disclosure, I won't be putting a dollar of my money on this game, not on the total, and absolutely, and I would put it on the total if anything, but not on the total, and I'm not putting it on uh, the, the Alabama or Georgia side. I don't like Georgia laying three. Because all of a sudden, Nick Saban got that little motivation that he needed, that extra motivation that, look at this, we're an underdog again. Look at this, guys, we went out there and we beat him up again. I will tell you this, if Alabama was plus three or was minus three, which I thought that they should open up at, if Alabama was minus three, I'd probably be taking Alabama. Uh, I'm sorry, I'd, be, I'd probably be taking Georgia because I think that it's going to be a close game. With Alabama plus three, you got to take Alabama. Not only do you have, in my opinion, the better team, in my opinion, the better coach, uh, in my opinion, the better spot, and the motivation factor is going to be the same for both of these teams, you're also getting points. And again, it's three points, which tells you what I think of this game. If you're giving me three points with Georgia, I'm taking Georgia. Since you're giving me three points here with Alabama, I have to take Alabama. So I think Alabama wins. I think it's a close game. I think it's lower scoring than people anticipate. But there are better games to bet. My college football season is over. I dominated the bowl games. I had a great finish to the season. There's no reason for me to double dip back in and try to make this uh, something interesting. If you do want something, um, the under for Robinson in yards is a probably it's probably a good bet. I don't think he's going to run the ball much. Um, there's no overs that I really like. Uh, potentially, if you really want to potentially take Cook over, the running back for for uh, Georgia, maybe you could get a good number on that, depending on where it sits. But I don't expect either one of these running backs to get into that 60, 70, 80-yard range. I think that both of these running backs are held to 60 yards or less. I am, Cook might be able to get to crack that 50 mark, and that could be a little bit of value. So that's my thoughts on the championship game. Hope everybody enjoys it. Hey, maybe this is a game where you just sit back, drink, you know, drink some beers and eat some wings and just enjoy a game and not have some money on it. But I know you guys, you're going to want to have a little bit of money on it. I'll lean Alabama because I'm getting points. I lean the under. I don't like that the number's going down. Maybe a little under in the first half. Maybe a prop play on the uh, running back unders as well. All right, guys, let's take a quick time out. Come on back. When we do, we're going to talk about the NFL, talk about the NFL season, what games to avoid, and where you can still make some money. All that and more right after this, right here on Wagering Week. And now back to Wagering Week with Tom Barton. I bet you 20 bucks I can get you gambling before the end of the day. No way. I'll give you three to one odds. You're on. What are the odds? What are the odds? Well, one of the odds, this comes from the Superbook in Las Vegas. The Green Bay Packers to win the Super Bowl are leading the charge at plus 350. Kansas City still right behind them at 4-1 to one odds. The Rams, after their impressive little run here, 7-1 odds. Buffalo Bills back in the national spotlight at 8-1. to one. Tampa Bay is 10-1. to one. Dallas is 12-1, to one, as is Tennessee, 12-1. to one. Indianapolis, 16-1. to one. The Patriots are 16-1. to one. The Bengals, you can still get them at 25-1. to one. Same thing with the Cardinals at 25-1. to one. San Francisco, Los Angeles Chargers, Philadelphia Eagles, all 50-1. to one. The Saints still have a shot there, 80-1. to one. And the Las Vegas Raiders, come in at 10 to 1. Now the Ravens and the Steelers both have a very small percentage of the shot. Ravens you can get them at 200 to 1 and the Steelers at 500 to 1. That is what are the odds. 
All right, so let's jump right into it here. We do have some Saturday games, and we got a couple of Saturday games, which, look, there's not going to be any more Thursday night games. There's not going to be any more Monday night games here in the NFL because you get the national championship. But we will have some Saturday games pretty much for the rest of the month because the wild card round, divisional round, they will have Saturday games. So the next three weeks, we will have Saturday afternoon games. There's going to be uh, at least two games on uh, this weekend, two games uh, for the next couple. So... The Kansas City Chiefs, Denver Broncos. This is one of the few games here that when you really break it down and you dive right into it, it actually does mean something. It means something because it's played on Saturday. I mean, that is the reality here, guys. This is a double-digit spread. Kansas City's 10, 10.5 points favorite on the road in a division game against the Denver Broncos. Well, you don't usually see that, and you see me all the time sort of talking down on the road, division game, right? Laying double digits, all the same things. But if there was ever take a, a chance to take a shot, it would be here. Kansas City owns this series. They absolutely dominate here, okay? Uh, as a matter of fact, Patrick Mahomes has never lost to the Broncos ever. The Kansas City Chiefs, they have won 12 straight against the Broncos. They own them. And when I say own, I mean they absolutely own this team. Now, all of a sudden, you get a Broncos team that is without their starting quarterback, so it's going to be Drew Locke. Williams and Gordon were both banged up last week, okay? And you start to look at Jerry Judy was banged up, Tim Patrick was banged up. Yeah, Denver's had a decent season, but isn't Vic Faggio, isn't he now um, kind of on the way out? So it might be kind of that dead man walking on the sidelines there as well. The Kansas City Chiefs have everything in front of them because they are playing on Saturday. And they have everything in front of them because if they do win and Tennessee happens to lose, which they've already lost to Houston, well, they get the number one overall seed. So they do actually have some motivation. You can't, as a professional athlete, sit back and go, well, tomorrow there's no way that team's going to lose. No, you can't do that. So like I said, Kansas City still has that chance at the number one overall seed. So they're going to be motivated. How motivated is Denver going to be? Right? They're out of the playoffs. It was a disappointing end to the season. They're playing with a backup quarterback. Most of the guys on this offense uh, literally are dealing with injuries. You're talking about Williams. You're talking about Gordon. You're talking about Judy. You're talking about Patrick. Whether it be COVID or injuries, they're dealing with all. Even Cortland Sutton, who played last week, clearly wasn't 100%. So they're dealing with injuries across the board, COVID issues across the board. Are they really going to go out there and give 100 10%. I know it's going to be at home and it might be cold and it, it, it is that Saturday primetime game. But Kansas City this year has already won this game 22 to 9. And Kansas City's defense probably has gotten better since then. And 22 to 9, well, now you have Drew Locke in there, who's just a mistake waiting to happen. Like I said, not only has this team won 12 in a row, it gets even deeper than that. The past four, the Broncos haven't scored more than 16 points. So we could talk about Mahomes, right? And let's have a big conversation about how he, how good he's going to be and how Mahomes is going to just dominate and everything else. But the reality is this is a defense-first mentality here, and the Kansas City defense is going to be able to suffocate Drew Locke in this spot. All right, guys, Dallas-Philly is the night game. Not a lot of intelligent conversation to be had about this because are both teams going to rest their starters? Do they want to? The Eagles have really nothing to gain. They are in that spot. This is what what's going on. And why would they press it here? Now, Dallas, they're 7-1 against the spread on the road this season. The Eagles have won the last two in the series at home. You're looking at a guy like Nick Sirianni. Maybe he's you know wants to get his team a little bit more in sync because they've been missing some pieces. And Jalen Hurts probably needs the extra game because he doesn't have a lot of games under his belt. But guys, you know, 
Dallas may sit people, and so may the Eagles. I'm not sure if Jalen Hurts plays a full game here. I don't know if it matters to them. I don't know if Dallas plays a full game. Yeah, it's on Saturday, okay? And there is some kind of playoff positioning. But the question becomes here, do you think that Dallas cares more about getting everybody out healthy? Because they've been very banged up as well. Or do they care more about a potential seeding situation? Uh, no, I don't think so. Dallas has already won the division. They already have a home game. They know what they're getting. So there is no real, real edge here. For Dallas, the one caveat that I will say is that the Dallas Cowboys have not been playing too well right now. The Dallas Cowboys haven't been just explosive offensively. And the Dallas Cowboys, because of their lack of explosiveness offensively, um, you know, you look at them, you go, don't you want to go into the playoffs on a high note? Go into the playoffs with everything clicking? Yeah, you do want that. But on the counter side of that, you also want to go in healthy. And they're not healthy. Ezekiel Elliott doesn't look healthy since about week eight. Pollard hasn't looked healthy over the last month or so of the season. Dak Prescott, you know, look, you know, he's in a slump. You could say whatever. Wouldn't it take a, a little bit of time to kind of come to the con conclusion that you go, you know, Dak might be better sitting on the sidelines and resting. He is coming off of a major injury. So I do wonder how many starters and how long they'll play here in Dallas. And I wonder the same thing about Philadelphia. Again, the mentality is, yeah, of course you want to win the game. Of course you want to beat a rival. Of course you want to do it in prime time. Of course you want to go into the playoffs feeling you know, good about yourself and on a streak. But you also have the reality of you also want to go into the playoffs healthy. You also want to go in in a mentality that, all right, look, you know what? We didn't give it our all last week, uh, but we are, we're healthy and we're going to be fine. That's something to pay attention to in this game. So let's move on here to Sunday. And we got a couple of stinkers here on Sunday. And we do have, I, I mentioned, Denban walking on the sidelines, uh, meaning new coaches are coming in. We might have a game here with two of them. And we're talking about the Bears in Minnesota. Look, Vikings are about three, three and a half point favorites at home. And is it going to be Mike Zimmer next year? Is it going to be Matt Nagy? I do believe it's Matt Nagy and Mike Zimmer's last games. The only thing I could say is, look, the Bears organization doesn't like a lot of turnover. Matt Nagy has won a Coach of the Year here with Chicago. Matt Nagy has, uh, you know, made it to the playoffs two out of the, what, five years that he's there in the playoffs. Look, Matt Nagy has enough of a resume where the ownership can say, well, look, we want to give him a full chance with Justin Fields. The Chicago Bears have excuses and reasons to keep Matt Nagy around, none of which will make any of the fans happy. I will be livid, okay, and I'm a Bears fan because I think he's ruining Justin Fields. But I could see this organization kind of sticking with him. Well, look, they played tight at the end of the year. They did well. I don't believe that it is. I do think this is Matt Nagy's last game. I think when the fans in Chicago are chanting, fire Matt Nagy during a Chicago Bulls game, and they're fire, chanting, fire Nagy during his son's high school football game, things have gone too far. The people have spoken, and Nagy's got to go. I kind of start to believe the same thing about Mike Zimmer here. You know, Mike Zimmer's living in a, a Minnesota town where he's had some success, but nobody's really questioned or pushed on him. And now all of a sudden, the media seems to have turned on him. Well, that is telling of what the fans are basically saying. I don't think Zimmer's a bad coach, uh, but I think Zimmer's more of a defensive coordinator than he is a head coach. We'll see if Minnesota moves on from them. By the way, interesting note is that Harbaugh is looking to leave Michigan maybe, maybe come back to the NFL. 
two of basically the three teams that he's looking at. I've heard Chicago, I've heard Minnesota, I've heard Jacksonville. Uh, I don't think it's going to work with Jacksonville because he doesn't get along with uh, some of the upper management there. So Chicago and Minnesota, he's already a legend for the Chicago Bears, uh, you know, fans because he went to Michigan and everything he did. He played for Chicago. Minnesota makes a little bit of sense as well. So that's an interesting side note. Here, Kirk Cousins could return and should return for this game. The Bears, they could start Fields. They could start Dalton. They could start Foles. Basically, Matt Nagy said, look, if Justin Fields is healthy, he's going to start. But he also led us to believe that he's not healthy. Andy Dalton looked good last week. Nick Foles looked good two weeks before that. Who knows? Again, a bad, ugly game with a lot of who knows. Now, I can tell you that the Vikings are 1-6 against the spread the last seven games as a home favorite. They're 3-8 and eight against the spread the last 11 home games overall. None of it matters if we don't know who's starting. We truly don't know who's starting in this game. It's something to pay attention to. Let's talk about another, I don't want to call it a garbage game, but yeah, a game basically I could call garbage. Sure, why not? Washington Giants. Washington's almost a touchdown favorite. Six and a half, some sevens out there against the Giants. Look, the Giants haven't scored more than 13 points in the last seven weeks. They've done it one time. I mean, it, it, it's bad in New York. The Giants don't have a quarterback. They don't have Mike Lennon, who's on COVID. Daniel Jones is out for the season. The Giants are 0-5 against the spread since Daniel Jones has gone down. He wasn't the problem. Uh, the defense, which at sometimes showed a little fight, well, they look like garbage. And Washington, well, you know what? They're all banged up. Antonio Gibson missed last week, but Jared Patterson filled in pretty nicely. Heineke, they're just limited. They shot themselves in the foot early on and then their defense just got injured. Look, you lose a guy like Chase Young, who, despite being down this year, is still, what, a top 15 player in the league uh, defensively? Uh, top 10, very potentially. You lose a guy like Landon Collins, a top 10 safety in the league. You lose guys all over the field. You're just not going to put together a, a competitive team. This is for nothing but pride. It's two conference teams. I get it. But there's no way you could go with anything with the New York Giants at all because their offense is just absolutely putrid. By the way... There's no doubt Ron Rivera's coming back. But who's going to be the quarterback next year? They wanted to go with Ryan Fitzpatrick. That was the the, the big conversation. They went out. They sprung uh, a, a big number for him. He never played. Taylor Heineke, he's clearly not the guy. So Washington, not only are they getting a new team, they should be getting a new quarterback. That should be interesting. The New York Giants, meanwhile, Joe Judge kind of on the hot seat here. All of a sudden, it seems like people want Joe Judge out of here. I don't necessarily agree with it. Um, I think you got to give him a little bit more time. But Joe Judge might be gone. Daniel Jones might be gone. All of a sudden, you're still starting to look at these two franchises and go, it might be house cleaning time. I mean, it really might get to that point where everybody just kind of says, yeah, that's uh, the end of that. So every other game on the board here is going to have some sort of playoff implication. So those are the, I, I want to call them garbage games. Sure, they're the garbage games. Let's talk about a game with some playoff meaning. Maybe. And that's Tampa Bay against the Panthers. Look, Tampa Bay's about a 10-point favorite. The Antonio Brown drama is behind them. Let's just put that aside. Carolina, they lost their sixth straight game this week. So Carolina is in a downfall, and people are just ripping apart Matt Rule, who I think is one of the better coaches in the league, or I thought was going to be. He hasn't shown much, but he doesn't have a quarterback. Look, this team is just bad. Sam Donald has won just one of his last six starts. Cam Newton, by the way, 0-13 of his last 13 starts for the Panthers. It doesn't get much better. Cam Newton hasn't covered a spread in his last 14 games. It doesn't get good when you don't have a starting quarterback. And, oh, by the way, they're also doing this without Christian McCaffrey. I don't put a lot of blame on Matt Rule, but they shouldn't be competitive. Here's the thing and why the only reason that you might want to take a look at Carolina. First of all, it's a division game. We know that. And it's going to be double digits. We know that. You also have to worry and wonder about the Bucks' motivation here. The Bucks are in a spot where they can't really get that number one seed, okay? They can't 
really get that number two, probably almost locked into the three. Well, if you're almost locked into the three, you know, it, I think there's like 18 things that have to happen. For, well, well, why would you start anybody? The only thing that you have to say is that, you know what, they are a little dysfunctional right now on offense, and their defense has been pretty bad as well. So you want to get out there, get a good defensive effort, get a good offensive effort. Let's get everybody kind of up and rolling, but health is everything with them. The Bucks, look, they, they okay, they do have something. I said there's 18 things. I want a little, look, if the Bucks win, okay, and the Rams lose to San Francisco, the Bucks could get the second seed. So, you know, there's a lot more. Now, to get the first seed, they would need, you know, the Packers are locked in, they, and they can't get out of the third. So it's second or third. My opinion there is that this is why I was saying they need a lot to happen for, for bad stuff to, to go wrong. Does it matter if they're second or third, really? You know, you get that home game in the first round. You likely get that home game, in, you know, in the next round. I mean, it's it doesn't really matter overall as opposed to the health kind of conversation. I, look, I guess Tampa Bay does have something to play for. I'm just not laying 10 in this spot. All right, let's talk about New England, Miami. Look, Pats are 6-1 straight up, 6-1 on the road against a spread. Well, we, we understand that. New England does well. But here we go. New England's sort of tied into a game against the Bills. Are they going to open up their playbook? They often struggle against Miami down in Miami. They're giving five and a half here. I think they struggle a little bit here. I don't think that this is a clear-cut, easy win for the Patriots that everyone's kind of making it out to be. But I also am sitting back and I'm going, you know what? I, I can see this uh, one getting away from Tua. Uh, Belichick has always, I mentioned this at the top of the show, has always liked to go into the playoffs you know, on a winning streak and feeling good. So you have that. All right, what about Green Bay, Detroit? This line is exceedingly getting bigger, bigger. Ba- oh, no, it's all the way down to basically a pick em. Packers started go, opened up at 9, went up to 11, then it went up to 12, and then people said, wait a minute, <laughs> Packers are a one seed, and that's it. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, why is he going to play, right? He's got the bad toe. There's no reason to play at all. They have home field advantages throughout the playoffs. There's absolutely no reason to play here. Uh, Detroit, 10-6 and six against the spread, right? They've done well this year. And you start to look at the Green Bay Packers and and you start to look at the Packers and just say, yeah, look, they're the team to beat again. They're constantly the team to beat again. Uh, Matt LaFleur might win Coach of the Year. Aaron Rodgers might win MVP. But it's all about the playoffs and it's all about that NFC Championship game for this team. The Saints and Falcons. Saints four and a half over the Falcons. Look, Atlanta's at home. It is a division game. New Orleans can't seem to score, but their defense is fantastic. Matt Ryan is playing some of the best football of his career. And yes, I'm including that ridiculous MVP run because Matt Ryan has thrown one interception in his last six games. I mean, the guy has just been absolutely fantastic. I look at this game and I go, you know, I think everyone's going to be jumping on New Orleans. You see that line continuing to increase. I think Atlanta's a live dog at home. But the one thing I stay away from is the fact that Kyle Pitts is out. He twisted his ankle last week. It didn't look good. The lower half of his body, as a matter of fact, uh, didn't look good and all of a sudden you look at that and you go, do you trust Atlanta without their number one weapon? I certainly don't, and I don't think you guys should, but I don't feel that great about New Orleans because of the level that Matt Ryan's playing, because it's at home, and because it's a division game. And, oh, by the way, uh, the Saints also can't score. How about Colts, Jaguars? Colts are up to a 17-point favorite over Jacksonville in Jacksonville. Home, oh, man, home underdog in division getting 17. 
Now, the Colts have to win, right? Colts are 6-0 against the spread the last six road games. They're 6-1 against the spread the last seven games as a road favorite. They travel really well. But they have not covered a spread against Jacksonville in the last seven games. Now, they need a win to get in. I don't doubt that they're going to get that win, right? Jacksonville's run defense, which I've been hyping up most of the years, being okay. They were allowing about 105 yards per game for much of the season. Well, they just let up 227 yards the last two games uh, per game. So it's been a disaster. They have completely fallen off. I know Miles Jack missed some time with COVID, but it's not a one-player thing. The Colts, like I said, they haven't won a game in Jacksonville since 2014. Right? That's a problem. And you also look at Jacksonville just seems to have the Colts number. The Jacksonville Jaguars are 2-27 and against everybody in the league, not named the Colts. They're 2-2 two and two against the Colts. That's after a 33-game spread. I mean, that that is a big number. The Colts, we also have to look at the Colts and say, uh, you know, how for real are the Colts? Look, I buy into them, and I like them. They beat the Patriots. That's great. Their other home wins are the Jets, Texans, and Jaguars. Three of the four came against teams with a combined 10-38 and 38 record. I don't know if I'm laying 17 points in a division game in this spot. I just don't know if I can do that. And you start to talk about, you know, who the Colts are moving forward. Look, I like Frank Reich, and he has turned around Carson Wentz here. Remember, Carson Wentz was done. He's going to finish 18th or, or so in the top 20 in the league in passing yards. He's going to finish right now. He's number 10 in the league in touchdowns. Six in the league interceptions. He's top five there. QBR is top 10 uh, QBR. I think Carson Wentz is more than just kind of a placeholder here. Texans uh, and the Titans. Well, last time we saw this, the Texans actually pulling off a ridiculous win that didn't uh, didn't really mean much to them. But man, was it a ridiculous win! And all of a sudden, Tennessee. Yeah, it didn't mean much to Tennessee either because why? They still got the number one seed, right? Tennessee's got to go out there and win this game. It is a double digit spread. It is on the road, and it is in division. We hate that. But you do look at this and say Texans won the first meeting, 22-13. They found a formula here. Derrick Henry, that's the conversation he's coming back. How effective do you think Derrick Henry's going to be on his first game back? I shouldn't say how effective. I should say how much chances to be effective will he get because I'm not running Derrick Henry into the ground, and I'm not really caring about this game overall if I'm Tennessee. You know, I'm really not. This is more of get out healthy, which we haven't been all year. If you're a Titans fan, we haven't been healthy all year long. Why would we risk anything in this game? And that's kind of the situation that you're at. Pittsburgh, Baltimore, a game that, look, it's going off at one o'clock or it might not mean anything. This might be and should be and will be Ben Roethlisberger's last game because the Pittsburgh Steelers have about a 5% chance of making the playoffs. The Ravens have about a 3% chance, right? I mean, it's basically dumb. Lamar Jackson, he wants to come back. He wants to play in this game. There's conversations that Harbaugh had this week saying, yeah, he's going to play in this game. Why? There's no reason for him to play in this game. I don't believe the hype. I don't believe the conversation. I don't believe anything that's coming out of this uh, this game at all. Pittsburgh, led by Watt, who could win defensive MVP, and I think he should win defensive player of the year. Absolutely. He should actually get regular MVP votes as well. He's got a chance to set the all-time sack record. The Pittsburgh Steelers are leading the league in sacks. They do have some personal things to play for. Oh, by the way, also Ben Roethlisberger. And that's the thing here. I know it's on the road, and Baltimore is giving four and a half. There is a, still a chance both of these teams you know, kind of excel and, and maybe make the playoffs. Look, there's no chance. But basically, there is a chance. What would have to happen, by the way, for them to have chances here would be they win. They need like three things, other things to happen that eh, might happen. And then they need the the Jaguars to beat the Colts. I mean, that's the big swing game. 
So you look at the Steelers and you look at the Ravens and you just go, yeah, they both don't have a chance. So what is the motivation factor? I'll take a team getting four and a half with the motivation of one of their all-time greats, maybe their all-time great Ben Roethlisberger going out on his last game. All right, how about Jets and Bills? Bills are a 16 and a half, almost a 17-point favorite as well here. Up in Orchard Park, Bills need to win to clinch the AFC East. I have no doubt that they're going to win. Every Bills win this year has been by double digits. They certainly might win by double digits. But the Jets, look, the Jets are a little underrated here. Josh Allen is 4-2 as a starter against New York, right? But he's only had five touchdowns, five interceptions. You look at the Jets the last couple of weeks, they're doing things that are quite interesting. Wilson looks good. Berrios looks good. All of a sudden, you're starting to see some talent come out. The Jets have scored two or more touchdowns for over a month now. Offensively, they can score some points. Now, Buffalo's defense should be fantastic. There might be some snow up in Buffalo. This is a massive spread. Buffalo will win this game. But this is a spot where I absolutely can see the Jets hanging close. It's a giant 17-point spread. You could get me, you could convince me to take St. Mary's School to blind against like the 85 Bears with a 17 and a half point spread because the 17 is just it's just a massive number. So it's not too hard to get me to say, you know what, the Jets, a division team, might be able to play well here. Cincinnati and Cleveland, oh, the party's over for Cleveland. And I think Baker Mayfield, the party's over for him as well. But he does have one thing on his resume. Look, Mayfield was head to third, three and a head to head against Joe Burrow. Look, this is all going to be about Burrow. I get it. Burrow leads the Bengals to the AFC North title, right? He's already got that. That's done. I think he sits this one out. Why would you want him to play with that bad knee? This is a problem. In the last two weeks, look, Burrow's been fantastic. 971 yards, eight touchdowns, zero interceptions. But why? Why would he even be available in this one? You know, Burrow's been sacked an NFL high 51 times. 51 times. As a matter of fact, there's only two other quarterbacks that have been sacked 40 times. One of them is Baker Mayfield. The other one is Ryan Tannehill. So he's got 11 more sacks than anybody else. I mean, it's unbelievable how much this guy's abuse he's taken. I wouldn't be playing him. I don't know if they, they will. San Francisco and the Rams. Look, the Nines can clinch a playoff berth with, with a win. Okay. Uh, the Rams have positioning, though. They want to keep that seed. The Rams are about a five-and-a-half or six-point favorite. Is it going to be Trey Lance or Jimmy Garoppolo? I'm not sure. They are vastly different and vastly different to kind of play against and, and game plan against. Now, the Niners, they've won five in a row in this series. Shanahan absolutely owns McVay. They won 31-10 back in November where the Rams, you know, kind of were falling apart. The Rams have righted the ship, but Matthew Stafford is still just a, a liability out there. I don't know if Trey Lance is a liability right now. He's exciting. He's a tough game plan. Jimmy Garoppolo has looked good in his time. You know, this is a, this is a tough game because it does have playoff implications, so everyone's going to want to watch it, and everyone's going to want to bet it. But this is one of those, hey, just sit back and watch. You know, let these teams expose who they are. The Rams, are you good enough to win at home against a division rival to make sure you clinch that seeding? If you do, people are going to start believing you for the playoffs. If you do, you're putting away a lot of that Matthew Stafford can't win conversation. San Francisco, well, win and you're in. Uh, and you can be a very dangerous team once you get in. I mean, that goes without saying. And once you get in, we can have that conversation. Seattle, Arizona. Arizona, six and a half point favorites over the Seahawks. Look, Arizona's won three of the last four meetings. Arizona have lost two of the last four home games, both straight up and against the spread. And Arizona's just two and five against the spread this year at home. But you look at this and you go, you know, Arizona, they went through a small period of just weird weirdness right there. 
Seattle's been a mess all year. Russell Wilson doesn't look healthy. And Penny looks fantastic. That guy might run for 200 yards again. Penny looks fantastic. Their defense is something to be questioned. Arizona, did they write the ship against Dallas or was that a fluke? Look, I think they righted the ship to a point of, I don't believe in Kingsbury and I don't believe in them deep into the playoffs. But if you can't beat Seattle by more than a touchdown at home, you you don't deserve to go to the playoffs right now. This is a Seattle team that struggled over the last couple of weeks. They've struggled most of the year. In the future, I'm looking at the Cardinals, and I'm probably going to be buying against them. I don't think they have a playoff run. But right now, this is a game where, I mean, you almost have to take Arizona. So since we're talking about the future, let's go back to the future. We're sending you back to the future. Okay, all right. Bet to the future. Bet to the future. I just mentioned that Matt LaFleur might win Coach of the Year. Well, he is leading the betting number at plus 150. You look at Zach Taylor, Cincinnati Bengals, plus 175 there. Mike Vrabel, what he's done with all those injuries, he's plus 350. Frank Reich coming in at 30 to 1. Bill Belichick, you can get 40 to 1 on him after he was even money about oh, the day after he beat the Bills. Cliff Kingsbury and Nick Sirianni are both about 50 to 1. Mike McCarthy is 100 to 1. Andy Reid, 100 to 1. And Sean McVay is 100 to 1. And that is bet to the future. So, guys, I left one game. One game because it's going to be the highlight game of the weekend, obviously. It is very simply win and you're in. Chargers and Raiders. It's in Las Vegas. It's the biggest game that's ever been played in that stadium. The Chargers are minus three. Some books you could get two and a half, and some money is coming in on the Raiders. There are some questions here that we have to ask ourselves before you go into making a bet like this. Now, I know that Eckler is going to be back, and it looks like the Chargers are going to be relatively healthy or as healthy as you could be. Uh, For the Raiders, is Darren Waller going to return? I continue to hear that, yes, Darren Waller will return. Four of the last five meetings here have also been one-score games. That's something to pay attention to. And it is very simple. It is win and you're in. Look, forget about the conversation, which I've heard, and it's entertaining conversation, right? Um, It's entertaining conversation to have. Well, if they just all kneel on the ball uh, and it's a tie, they both make the playoffs. Very true. (laughs) This this is true. And if it was the SEC, they might do so. But the AFC West doesn't get, like, money for doing it. So they're not going to do that. And by the way, the commissioner does have an exemption rule. If somebody forfeits a game, uh, he can claim both of them lost. So... Let's push that out and say that's not going to happen. Oh, teams are going to intentionally throw it. I see people literally betting on a tie. Betting on a tie. Uh, It's not going to happen, okay? It's just not going to happen. So put that out of your mind. Fun conversation. Ha, ha, ha. That would be cute. Ha, ha, ha. Put it out of your mind. Let's just know that this is going to be a really tough game. It's going to be, I just told you, the games are usually about a one-score game. Now, on the year, both of these teams... Both on the money line, nine and seven and nine and seven against the spread. Chargers eight and eight. Raiders seven and nine. Over unders. Chargers nine and seven. Raiders seven and nine. I mean, almost identical. Basically five hundred records. Game here, there, they're right there. There's nobody uh, sitting here and saying, okay, there's a distinct advantage. You could talk about Herbert, and I'm going to throw you Derek Carr. Now, Herbert's a more talented player, but Derek Carr's got the numbers this year, right? And you start to break down the teams. The Chargers are more talented, but the Raiders do have home field advantage, and they've played tough games this year. These two have squared off 124 times this year. One time in the postseason, right? The Raiders lead the all-time series, um, but you look at the Chargers, they've won the last two. So they've won back-to-back games after the Raiders won three straight. 
the Chargers are a young team. Winning back-to-back games gives you a little bit of sense of comfortability, right? I mean, that's what, what it is. You start to feel a little bit comfortable when you start to beat a team that you kind of know. But nothing's going to be comfortable about going to Las Vegas in this spot. Nothing at all. You look at the Chargers, and you know you, you start to look at their game, and you go, okay, let's take a look. Can we find an area that you can attack? Well, there is a glaring weakness here. They are the worst team in the NFL at defending the run, bar none. They've been the worst team in the NFL at defending the run for quite some time. And they they had a, a massive lead for most of the year, where it was like 165 yards per rush. I, I mean, they, they were, per game, they were getting destroyed against the rush. Well, that normally wouldn't be a problem with the Oakland Raiders now. Uh, the Oakland Raiders, that wasn't a Freudian slip, that's intentional. Wouldn't be a problem with the Oakland Raiders who couldn't run the ball. And it wouldn't be a problem with the Las Vegas John Gruden Raiders who couldn't run the ball. And it wouldn't be a problem with even uh, the Biscashi era Raiders who couldn't run the ball recently. But over the last couple of games, all of a sudden Josh Jacobs is running the ball. He's running the ball very effectively. It's something that I have screamed about on the uh, Las Vegas radio network that I work at in Fox. It's something that I've screamed about on this show. They've got to learn how to run the ball. Well, they have. They finally learned to run the ball, and that could be the difference here. I have no doubt that Justin Herbert can have a good time sitting back there. Uh, you know, he won't be completely comfortable because you know guys like uh, Max is going to come after him. But I, I have no problem thinking that Justin Herbert can can score here. Okay, he's going to score. He's going to throw it through the air. Derek Carr especially with Waller back, can throw it through the air. I have no doubts there. I have no doubt that the Chargers' defense is better than the Raiders, but the Raiders can get after the passer, passer uh, absolutely. I have no doubt that the Chargers um, have a coaching advantage. They probably have a running advantage. But the X factor is this. The Raiders do not have a glaring weakness. The Raiders don't have that one thing that you go, that is their massive liability. That is a massive problem. That is the one area that can sink them. They don't have that. They may not have that exceptional area. They may not have that that absolute, well, you know what? The Raiders are the best at this. They are not the best in the passing game, even though Derek Carr is pretty good. They're not the best at wide receivers. They're certainly not the best at tight end with a banged-up Darren Waller. They have a very good offensive line, very, very good offensive line, but it's not the best offensive line. They don't have the best defense, right? They don't have an advantage in a lot of areas in this game, but I still expected the game to be a close game. Well, first game was a 14-point game, but Derek Carr only threw for 196 yards. Josh Jacobs ran for 40. Now let's fast forward to why I was saying, even though all these things are in the Chargers' favor, I tend to look at the Raiders and say, I think maybe you're going to make the playoffs. Now, home field advantage is already big, and getting points is already huge, right? We've gone through that with Alabama. If you're getting points in a game that I think is close, sure, take the three. And full disclosure, I'm not touching this game. But with all the good that comes in with the Chargers and all the great that the Chargers can be, there is a glaring weakness. They can not stop the run. And not only can they not stop the run, Josh Jacobs may have found something. Now, he only ran for 63 yards last week, but it was enough to get them the win, and he got some big conversions when they needed him to. He ran for 129 yards against a pretty good Denver defense the week before that. Even the 52 against Cleveland, a real tough Cleveland team, is something to pay attention to. But if you're somebody that looks at purely stats, and you're looking at nothing but numbers, nothing but statistics, I, I got another thing coming for you here. 
Because on a strictly stat basis, the Raiders shouldn't be in this game. On a strictly statistical number and just a pure statistical mindset, the Raiders should not be in this game. But this game isn't played on paper, right? This game is not played on paper. Uh, The Chargers allow 27 points per game. The Chargers have the worst rushing defense in the league. They absolutely can do things that can disrupt this game. And they are at home, which is a problem as well. The Chargers, look, I mean, the Raiders turn the ball over. And this could be, you know, the, the kind of shooting you in the foot, right? They can. I get it. You start to look at why the Raiders can win. Go through the, the year. You can't find many reasons. Why are the Raiders here? Why are the Raiders winning? What do, what do the Raiders have that can do it? Well, Derek Carr's had a good year. Waller's a good player. Max Crosby's a, a, a phenomenal pass rusher. But overall, they're outmatched. Do you go strictly with the outmatched team? Why is the line only three if they're so outmatched? Because it is a Western Conference and a Western Division matchup. It is a very inconsistent Chargers team that we just watched lose to the Houston Texans. It is a Chargers team that cannot stop the run, even though they can get after the pass. And the idea is maybe, maybe Josh Jacobs has found something. And if he has, if Josh Jacobs has found that formula to be able to run the ball, the Raiders could be going to the playoffs. It seems like everyone's against the Raiders. And this is their mentality this year. They lost their head coach. They lost a star wide receiver. Somebody, other knucklehead got nabbed with a DUI this week. They've had to deal with all these problems and all these issues and all these distractions. But their season can mean everything with a win. The Chargers are vastly, vastly overrated in this spot. I see 90% of the money coming in on the Chargers. 90% in a win or go home game where the home team is getting points in a divisional matchup. 90% are on the Chargers. I'm not taking this game either way. And I think that the Chargers would be a fun team to get into the playoffs. I think everyone's rooting for the Chargers. But guys, don't count out the Raiders because they've been counted out year, all year long. All year long, this team has been getting counted out. And this could be the year of the Raiders. This could be the year of putting all the adversity behind you. Watch Derek Carr put this team on his back and win. I think that the Chargers probably squeak out a victory, but I'm not going anywhere near it in a betting standpoint. All right, guys, like I said, Happy New Year out there. Everybody enjoy the playoff weekend where we're going to have a complete playoff picture the next time we speak and enjoy the national championship game. SEC is going to be happy. Hopefully the viewers are as well. I'm Tom Barton for Wagering Week. We'll be back and you can bet on that. This has been a presentation of the Sports Garden Network. To be part of the show, call 1-855-4-GARTEN. That's 1-855-442-7386. Connect with us on Facebook and Twitter at Sports Garden. That's G-A-R-T-E-N. Get all your credible sports intelligence 24 hours a day by visiting us at sportsgarden.com. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So... No, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. 
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.